0: Good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you guys. As we continue to worship together, I invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2. Uh, we've been in the book of Deuteronomy for a couple of weeks now, and we'll, by God's grace, continue to be there for several months uh, in the near future. And um, so we're excited about that. Uh, it's pretty interesting to think that um, when we conclude this series, we all will be a year older. I don't know why that just is cool uh, to think of what God will teach us through our circumstances between now and next year uh, over family and friends and the life of the church and just life in general, uh, because God tends to use our circumstances uh, to work in us and through us, while at the same time he speaks through his word, um, which is inspired and a gift to us uh, by his Holy Spirit. So as you turn to Deuteronomy 2, let me pray, and, uh, and we'll look at God's word together this morning. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, God, indeed, as we continue to worship, I pray uh, that you would be the Lord of our hearts. God, knowing that you have saved us. Uh, God, that as we uh, walk in your ways, you would guide us, that indeed you would be our vision. God, now as we uh, pause for a time to open your scriptures together, I pray that as we read and study that you would open our minds to understand and open our hearts to receive the good news of the gospel. We thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired these words to be written down and has preserved them for generations for our benefit today. So, God, uh, we ask that you use this time to shape us to be more like your son, Jesus. We pray that in all things you get the honor, we get the joy, and that the nations would come to know the good name of Christ, we ask in his holy name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of your foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them for money that you may eat, and you may also buy water from them for money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you and all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through the great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah Road to Eleth and Ezion Geber. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar to the people of Lot for a possession." The Emim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they also counted as Rephaim. The Moabites called them Emim. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before and settled in their place, as Israel did to their land of possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now rise up, go over the brook of Zarod, And we went over the brook zared and the time of our leave in Kadesh Barnea, until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years. Until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp, as the Lord had sworn to them. From indeed the hand of the Lord was against them, to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. This is God's word. Friends in Christ, we experience the grace of God through discipline. And we respond by walking in grace to the glory of God for joy and to influence others with the good news of Christ. As we see, the book of Deuteronomy is recounting God's work in and through his people Israel as he had set them free from bondage from Egypt. And as they were journeying to a land that the Lord had promised them, they rebelled and ended up having to wander in the wilderness for a generation uh, 38 years, scripture tells us in the passage today. But we see that their rebellion came from distrusting God's character, but all the while God was faithful to them. The good news of the gospel is that God's character does not change with the whims of his people, but rather God remains faithful to unfaithful people, time and time again. The decisions we make have consequences. And we see in the story today that God's people rebelled, and that rebellion led to consequences. An entire generation had to die out before the children could move in to the land that God had promised them, with the exception of a handful of leaders that God said, you guys can go. Moses himself didn't even get to go due to his rebellion. But all the while, God was faithful. And so for you and I today, we must think of times that our actions and attitudes and Maybe it's rebellion. Our decisions can even impact others. Think about a time in your life that that's happened. Maybe you have impacted others with a decision you've made or not made. It could be something good. Maybe you, you called something and it was, ended up being great and influenced a lot of people. Maybe there's a time of doubt or distrust. Maybe a personal situation that had rippling effects. It could even be something you know, for your job or for school, friendship or family. One of my favorite movies is Cool Runnings, Jamaican Bobsled Team. It's been about three weeks since my last Cool Runnings reference, so here we go. (laughs) Great movie, great soundtrack. And if you know the story, right at the beginning, these guys are, are track runners. And they're competing to win. Yep, there you go, they're running. One of the guys trips, trips the other guys. Kills all their chances of competing as runners in the Olympics. But what happens was that opened up an opportunity, that failure, that trip of one guy who tripped and caused the other dudes to fall, opened up an opportunity for them to form a bobsled team. A bobsled team that would go on to do great and amazing things. Without that guy falling, we wouldn't have that great movie with that great soundtrack, right? (laughs) And so that is one of many cases where one person's failure, so to speak, impacts a couple other people, that impacts a whole Decision to go a whole different direction with their uh, athletic ability and to go on to make a great, inspiring, family-friendly film. Because I see pride. I see power. Anyway, we'll stop there. What happens here, and to tie that into this, is, that, is that the decisions we make and even the failures we fail impact other people. But God uses that. God uses our decisions, whether they be wise or unwise, he uses our failures, he uses the times that we may even trip up, tripping up other people, to redirect us and still to be good, to show his goodness. Because when we look at this passage of Scripture, we see, guys, people rebelled, and they ended up having to wander the wilderness for nearly 40 years until a whole generation dies out. We can think and say, wow, did God, did God take back his promise? I mean, he said he was going to lead them to freedom and give them a land, and, and did he take it back? And, you know, and then you can get cosmic about it and think, well, if they rebelled, I mean, did, did they all go to hell when they died? That was a question I had when I was a kid, and I'll say no. They, God was still their God. He was still their father. They were still his children. But their disobedience and rebellion had consequences, but God was still faithful to them. In their rebellion. So also, I want us to look at two things today. The title of the message uh, says it all. We're going to look at the grace of discipline and the discipline of grace. Because what we see here is a story of God disciplining his children, his people, because of the actions and attitudes that they had in rebellion against him. And so I want us to look at that first. is the grace of discipline from God to his people. Because our decisions have consequences, but God always makes good on his promises and grace, regardless of of our actions. God was making good on his promises to his people. We looked at the first 15 verses of this chapter. We're going to go on in a minute, but we're going to see even in the first 15 verses here. you know. So you look back in chapter 1, God's people rebelled. They said, we don't trust you, God. We don't know if we can take you with your word to deliver on your promise. So we're going to not do what you said to do. And they rebelled. And then they said, well, you know what? We're going to do what you said, but we're going to do it in our own way, in our own time, in our own strength, which is rebellion. Even if you do the right thing with the wrong motivations, it's still rebellion. So don't kid yourself in thinking that doing the right thing with the wrong attitude, the wrong action, the wrong level of faith is still not good. The right thing in the wrong way is the wrong thing. The right thing with the wrong attitude is the wrong thing. So that's what God's people were doing here. But God was making good on his promises. In fact, God was making good on his promises to other people. <laughs> Israel is God's chosen people. is the focal people of the story of Deuteronomy. But look what happens is, is they are in rebellion. God says, look, you're not going to go that. I want you to go this way now until the whole generation dies out. But as they go, he says, look, I want you to journey that way uh, for a long time. And you're going to go past the territory of the people of Esau. But don't mess with them. I've given them that land. You're not going to get that land. In fact, I want you to spend your money in their markets. I want them to make a little money off of you. They'll give you some food and some water. You can pay for it. But um, I don't want you to mess with those people. Nor do I want you to take their land. I've blessed them, so, so let them be blessed. Isn't that interesting? So God is, is giving, he's fulfilling his uh, promise to take care of uh, Esau's people. You see it goes down to, it says they go toward the, in verse 8, they go toward the wilderness of Moab. The Lord said, don't harass Moab or contend with them. I'll not give you their land either because I've already given it to someone else for possession. See, God makes good on his promises to other people just as much as he makes good on his promises to you. And that's good news for us. And so what happens here, too, as they are journeying, God says this in verse 4, Be very careful. As you go the direction, this is God speaking to his people, as you go the direction, I want you to not mess with those people because I've given them land for them. I want you to not mess with the Moabites. I've given them that land. I want you to go. I want you to spend some money as you go. The money I've provided for you so you can have food and water that I'm providing for you. But I want you, in verse 4, so be very careful. That statement means to watch yourself. It doesn't just mean... uh, Make sure you don't get hurt. But there's almost a nuance of introspection. As you journey, watch yourself. Like, what, what's going on? God is telling his people not just to be careful from the armies around or don't trip on a rock or watch out for rattlesnakes. He's saying, as you are journeying, because of your rebellion, I'm going to send you a different direction for a whole generation. And as I do that, I want you to look at yourself. I want there to be a moment of introspection. Check your attitude. Check your heart worship. You see, in chapter 1, we see that, that, that their rebellion was not an action only. Their rebellion that was, that was an act of rebellion came from a distrust. It came from a heart attitude. If you remember last week's message, we, we see that that rebellion actually is tied into the word for bitterness. They were rebelling against God because they had bitter hearts. They were distrusting God. There was character erosion in the hearts of God's people. So as God says, look, I'm going to discipline you. Your children are going to get that land. I will make good on my promise to give your people that land. But I want you first to journey this direction for 38 years. I want you to go that way until a whole generation dies up. This is discipline. It's not a harsh punishment. It is active instruction. And as I instruct you and as I shape you through these circumstances, I want you to be careful. I want you to watch yourself. I want you to keep an eye on your character and your thoughts and your heart attitudes as I use these circumstances to shape you into the people that I have called you to be. See, that's drastically different if we look at a journey of hardship that way. If we look at a journey of discipline that way. Even if we look at consequences from brokenness or failures, we look at consequences from sin or rebellion, God is showing His faithfulness. We just need to watch. Far too often we say, well, That's where I want to go, and God told me to go this way, and so as I go this way, I'm going to try to obey God, but I'm going to have a bad attitude about it. You're not watching yourself. You're not being careful to see what God is doing within you as he's leading you. He's going to make good on that promise in his time and in his way, and we have to be obedient to go this way as he shapes us. You see, the consequences, even from failure, that's what happened here. God's people, they failed God. They failed to obey him. they actively rebelled bitterly against him, but God was still their God. He was still their father. They were still his children, and he was disciplining them. He was shaping them, He was instructing them, informing them through this, as they were watching themselves. He was doing something. You see what happens. So we'll just pause there. I mean, think about let's get sad for a minute. Think about something you just utterly failed. You blew it. I mean, it could be school. You're like, man, I had a scholarship. I blew it. It could be a relationship. It could be uh, something at work. Maybe you had an opportunity and you were just lazy. Maybe, I mean, it could be something. I don't know. Just think of something you have totally blown. All right? It's okay. We've all done something. Right? Or not done something we should have. Or think about it this way. If this makes you feel a little better, it doesn't mean it actually still hurts this stupid. Think about how somebody else's failure has affected you negatively. Well, that guy blew it. Now i got to pick up the pieces? That happened to me a couple of years ago. Somebody blew it. I'm like, oh, we're, I'll, I'll sweep it up. Fine. Right? That's God's discipline to you. It's, it's God's grace is in that to you. You see, you could have totally made a mistake. And you're like, I'm dealing with the consequences of that. In Christ, if you belong to the Lord, He's still your God. He's still your father. You are his child. If somebody else blows it and you have to pick up the pieces afterwards, you're thinking, God, it wasn't my fault. It was his fault. Why do I have to do this? God is doing something in you in that moment. He is disciplining you even through somebody else's brokenness. Somebody else's sin may have affected you. Somebody else's rebellion is affecting you. God, in his grace, is disciplining you in that I need to make a distinction here because we can often, this came up in a conversation in our missional community this week, it's very common for us to equate discipline with punishment. right? To think that those two are synonymous. And, and sometimes discipline involves punishment, but discipline is not punishment alone. Discipline means to instruct. I mean, Scripture is full of, uh, you know, even in Proverbs, that, I mean, the, the discipline is good. We're to welcome the discipline of the Lord, that God disciplines us like a father who loves his son. If you have children, Scripture instructs you to discipline your children. If you don't, that means you don't love them. If you do discipline them, that means you do love them. You show your love to your children as you discipline them. It's not punishment. It's not harsh. It's not mean. It is instructing. It is help shaping the person's character. That's what God does to his people. And, and so we see that, that even somebody else's brokenness is an opportunity for God to shape you. He'll show you his faithfulness. So what, what brokenness and consequences of sin and rebellion are you in the midst of now, whether that's your fault or somebody else's fault? What is it? And I want to give you hope. Is that, is that scripture shows us that God is faithful in that. I mean, it may be a parent that bailed on you. It may be somebody you were uh, in, a, in an intimate relationship that bailed on you. It may be a friend that betrayed you. It may be a coworker that that stepped on you to get ahead. It may be a neighbor that's just being unneighborly. God is doing something in that circumstance, and if you are a child of God in Christ, it is for your good even if it's hard for this season. God is disciplining you with grace. He's not punishing you. In Christ, ultimately, Jesus is taking punishment on your behalf, so He's not necessarily punishing you. Eternally, He won't punish you if you're in Christ, right? Because Jesus has taken that punishment of sin and brokenness. But I want us to see that the good news of the grace of discipline is that God uses our circumstances to expose brokenness, to expose sin, to expose idols, to expose our need for rescue. Several years ago I had a, a, a rift with a, a friend of mine and it was so hard, and I was like, What am I doing wrong? I, I don't understand why this is so hard. I don't understand why. What did I what did I do? What did I do? And I had pastor after pastor say, look, man, I don't see that you've done anything wrong, but don't miss out on the opportunity for God to, to do some character surgery on you. And that season of hardship exposed within my heart, in my heart idols that I didn't know I had. I didn't know that was a... I don't, I don't know why that's an issue for me. I didn't know it was. And at the end of the day... As much as it hurt, it was God's grace to me to chisel away. I hope that God is still shaping me to be a better son of God, a better husband, a better father because of hardship. I think He does because He's faithful. So what is that for you? Look what God says to His people in verse 7. The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. That's a powerful verse. I mean, anytime Lord is capitalized in your English Bible, it's, the, it's God's covenant name with His people, Yahweh, the Lord your God. It, 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 it's, it's a very personal name. He's like, look, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your covenant father. I'm with you. I've provided for you. I know your circumstances. You've lacked for nothing. I'm, I'm with you. man. Is that not amazing to think about what desert season of life this may be for you, whatever valley this may be for you? If you were in a hard season, whether it's consequences of your decisions or whether it's the consequences of somebody else's decisions and you're stuck in the valley, friends, God is with you. He knows the valley you're in. He is providing for you. Verse 7 The Lord your God has blessed you and all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So, friends, whatever valley it's in that you're in, God is with you. And He's providing, He's being faithful. You may not see it now, but you will. God will make good on His promises. Because as we walk the journey of discipleship, it's a journey of hills and valleys, of mountaintop experiences, and of depths of despair. I mean, it's easy for us to say, I've never felt so close to God when I went to that camp, or that retreat, or that mission trip, or that whatever. I felt so close to God. We worshipped all the time. It was great. I mean, I've been there. I love it. I want to get back there. But God is just as much at work in you and through you. And He's just as close to you as when you're in the depths of the valley. I mean, you may not be on the mountaintop saying, I can sing of your love forever, nine more hours of this, let's do it. You may be down here saying, man, I'm lonely, I have no money. I I I don't know where my career is going. I mean, it could be health issues, financial issues social strain. I think it's the reason God through David in the Psalms said this in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. You are with me. (laughs) I mean, David could have just said, hey, when I'm playing my lute, I feel close to the Lord. But he says, no, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And that is comforting good news for us. If you like to pray, and I hope you do, and if you ever want help praying, uh, a resource I found helpful is a great book called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers or Puritan-inspired prayers. And um, I could help you find it if you want, but there's a great prayer in that book called the valley of vision that says the valley is the place of vision lord in the daytime stars can be seen from the deepest wells and the deeper the wells the brighter thy stars shine let me find thy light in my darkness thy life in my death Thy joy in my sorrow. Thy grace in my sin. Thy riches in my poverty. Thy glory in my valley. Friends, what valley are you in? And are you using that time to be careful, to, to watch yourself, to look and see what God's doing? Are you using that time to have God be your vision to see His grace in the midst of your darkness? Are you seeing, like verse 7 says, that the Lord is blessing you? That the Lord knows what's going on? That the Lord is with you and that He's providing for you? We need to hear that gospel because we forget. I forget every week. I forget that good news. I'm like, man, this is hard. God, are you there? Yes, He's there. So we see the grace of discipline. is not God turning His back on His people, but rather He is present in the work of His people, in the lives of His people, shaping them, disciplining them, training them to be His people. So we see the grace of discipline. Secondly, I want you to see our response. What happens? The discipline of grace. Like... Grace is not something only that we receive from the Lord. It's not only an experience that we do something with it. God says, I'm going to show my grace. I'm going to be gracious to you. Now that I've been gracious to you, go be obedient and do this. And so we discipline ourselves with grace. Look at verse 16 down to verse 25. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, Today you were to cross the border of Moab at Ar. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. It is also counted as a land of Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them uh, Zamzamim. Because the people were great and many and tall like the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Amorites, and they dispossessed them and settled in that place, as He did for the people of Esau who lived in Seir when He destroyed the Horites before them, and they dispossessed them and settled in the place even to this day. As for the Avin who live in the villages as far as Gaza and the Caftorim, and from Kaftor destroyed them and settled in their place. You with me? Verse 24. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and this land. Begin to take possession, and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you, and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Kind of a change of tone there, don't you think? I mean, for 23 verses, God said, I'm going to lead you here. Don't mess with that guy. Those people are going to take you there. Don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. Here's where I'm taking you. All right. This valley was tough. I'm with you. I'm providing for you. Obey me. Uh, this. Area is kind of rough, too, but i'm I'm with you. I'm providing for you. Uh, just just obey me. okay, this area, don't mess with that king or those people. just'm um, here's some money. here's goodbye, I'm blessing you. I'm with you. obey me. now, okay, here's where I was taking you. Now what I want you to do is this. I want you to go in. I want you to obey me, and in your obedience, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you this king. I'm going to give you this land. Now this is cool. Think what would have happened if God's people yet would, again would have rebelled when God told them to uh, not mess with the people of Esau. I mean, what if they got tangled up with the people of Esau and that would have ruined where God was taking them, right? That disobedience would have had yet another effect. Or what if they stopped and messed with the Moabites, right? God took them to a place in their obedience. They got to see where God was taking them here. And God says to them, rise up. Set out on your journey, I have given into your hand that king, his land. Begin to take possession of it this is This is awesome. I was just like staring at these at these this sentence all week long, because I was looking at verse four about be careful, look at yourself, watch what's going on. and verse seven, the Lord is with you. He's providing for you. He's blessing you. And then we get over here and it says, all right, because God is with you and blessing you and providing for you, because of that, rise up, set out on your journey. It's, a, it's an ongoing process of Because God has been faithful, because he's done all of these great things, I can now go do what he wants me to do, go where he wants me to go, walk in the way that he wants me to walk. It's a very active thing. It's an ongoing process of obedience. Rise up and set out on your journey. Follow God in the way that he has for you. Be faithfully obedient because God has been faithful to you. We are faithfully obedient because God is faithfully gracious to us. Not, we, we don't try to be obedient so that God will be gracious. God is gracious. Therefore, let's be faithful and obedient to follow in the way that he has us to go. Now, for you and I, we're not going in. You know, you can't. If you're trying to start a business, you can't go downtown and like kick in the competitor's door. Of, God has given me your land. You know, will not work. <laughs> Would not work. It would be pretty cool, though. Just... Can you imagine the news headlines? Entire congregation was arrested this week because everybody kicked in the doors of schools, churches, businesses, restaurants. Hey, we're taking over for the Lord. That's not what he's saying there. We're seeing that God was instructing his people. and we're, he, This story is a true event that happened to show us God's faithfulness to his people. But there's implications for you and I today. Alright, for us to rise up and set out on the journey, for us to follow obediently in faithfulness to God uh, may look different for all of us in this room. Alright, for some of you, you are husbands and fathers. Some of you are grandfathers. Some of you are mothers. Some of you are doctors and teachers and lawyers. And, and some of you are students. And some of you are musicians and artists. And some of you teach at home And some of you are crafty, and some of you are not crafty, like me. Arts in the Heart blows my mind every year. I'm like, how did they make that? Jeremy, it's tissue paper and a toilet paper roll. I'm like, it's brilliant. (laughs) Art. But it's about walking, following the Lord in faithfulness and in obedience, because there's plenty that Scripture tells us to do as people of God that can be expressed in various different ways. Love one another. Pray for one another. Be patient for one another. Encourage one another. And that could be done at home, in the school, in the workplace. Lots of things like that. I love what happens here. This, this is what blew my mind this week. It says, rise up, set out on your journey. I have given into your hands. So again we see it's God's work. God's doing this. God's getting that king out of the way and getting the land ready and saying, so "I'm giving it to my people." But as God is doing that, as God is doing the giving. I mean, you, you got to see that there. I have given into your hands. It's the Lord. The Lord is doing the giving. But look what God's people are instructed to do. So obedience has to come here. So there's grace and then there's discipline of obedience comes here. Verse 24, begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. Begin to take possession. This statement blew my mind. See, you and I can look and just say, you know, just start to just take it. Just give me that. It's mine. The language used there has a huge emphasis on being an heir of an inheritance. It's not like God's people are taking something that doesn't belong to them or that doesn't belong to God. They're not doing some awesome like conquest. They are stepping in as heirs to God's kingdom. They are, they are receiving what is rightfully God's and what God is giving as an inheritance to his children. Obedience to God's faithfulness is fueled by a tight sense of identity as God's children. Okay, we have to hold on to that because I don't want us to ever think that you do things to be approved and accepted and loved by God, but rather because in Christ you were loved, approved, and accepted by God because you were adopted sons and daughters because of Jesus, you were an adopted prince or princess in the kingdom of God. Okay, because of that identity, life is different. Eternity is different. Because of that understanding, God's people were not saying, we're going to take this land because we want it, because we have a big brother with big muscles. They're saying, look, we're stepping in because God is faithful. God has made good on His promises. We are obeying. God is giving this to us. We are taking possession. We are receiving inheritance because we are heirs. Now for you and I, if you are a Christian, Scripture says that you are an heir. Listen to this. Titus 3, but when the goodness, Titus 3 verses 4 through 7, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us You have a new identity. Your identity is not found on the successes of your own righteousness. Your identity is not grounded or rooted in the failures of your past or the struggles of your present or what somebody else has done to you. You're not defined by other people's failures that you have had to clean up the mess from. I mean the consequences that are there God is going to use to shape you as a disciple but your identity is not based on the abandonment of your parents or this backstabbing coworker or that you know report card or that rejection letter from the college you wanted to get into you're not defined by that you're not defined by your track record of partying in college or your track record of struggles now in the present with sin, or finances, or what have you. In Christ, you were defined as an heir. Because of God's grace, you are an heir to God's kingdom, and heirs take possession. They gain inheritance from the Lord. God blessed His people Israel that way and Deuteronomy 2. And you and I have an eternal inheritance in Christ that we can experience the hope and joy of here and now. Life, Life looks different now in Christ. So as we close, I want you to think about a couple things. Friends, the Gospel is that in Christ we are heirs. That in Christ we are shown the loving kindness, grace, and mercy of God the Father, that Christ takes the punishment. We are disciplined, but Christ takes the eternal punishment. God is not, you, you need not fear eternal punishment as a Christian, but rather you can cling to the fact that you have the new identity as an heir in God's kingdom. So discipleship is a journey of grace that we walk together in faith based on God's faithfulness. And each step of the way, we are to remind each other of God's presence with us. We're to remind each other of God's provision before us. We're to remind each other that God is is shaping us as his children. And it's all for his glory and our good. And so... I want to ask you if you were here today and you were not a Christian, it's our hope and prayer for you is that you will not hear two extremes of wrongness. We don't want to tell you, uh, you better get yourself together so that God will love you. I mean, I'm not gonna scare you into hell. We're not you know, Halloween's coming, we're not gonna have a horror house to scare you into faith. I don't I don't necessarily like that. Nor do I wanna say, uh just, you know. Do whatever you want at the end of the day God will make it right Uh, what I want us to see is what scripture shows us is that there is God's grace to his people and in response God's uh, uh, people respond in obedience and in faith and so that's what we want for everybody here whether you're a Christian or not and if you're not a Christian uh, we want you to know that that's only possible in Christ Uh, the only way you can be an heir of, to God's kingdom, the only way that you can you can uh, be accepted in God's family is because of Jesus who uh, died the death as a punishment on your behalf so that you don't get punished eternally. Um, and also live the perfect life as the perfect son of God and in return gives us that identity as perfect children. It's a pretty amazing deal for us. And so if you're not a Christian, we want you to know Christ. We don't want you to do better, try harder, uh, because ultimately that will fail in the end. We want you just to accept Christ and know Christ. So if you want to know more about Jesus, come talk to me or any of the leaders that you've seen up here or somebody that you trust. We just want you to know Christ. That's that's the whole reason we're here. (laughs) Secondly, if you are a Christian, I want us to evaluate where we are in our faith. I want us to be careful to look inside and see what idols we have, what sin we have. And likewise, I want us to take Christ. I don't want us to do better and try harder. I want us to look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that, like Titus 3 says, we have been justified by his grace that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, you're good to us. I thank you that you are good to your people throughout generations. God, as we see your people um, rebel and sin and disobey, God, you remain faithful in your promises. God, that you are present with your people through the mountains and the valleys. God, through the hardships and the triumphs. God, whether we fall or somebody falls and trips us up and we got to pick up the pieces, at the end of the day, God, you are present and you are providing, and you are blessing your people. So what I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, whether it be um, a hard valley uh, of relationship and marriage or family, whether it be a lonely valley through work or uh, finances or neighborhood situations, uh, God, maybe uh, it's it's just a hard season and we're, and we're looking to you saying, God, why is this season hard? I thought, I thought I was an heir. I thought in Christ that you would bless me. God, I pray that you would give us perspective to see that there is grace in the discipline you have for your children. And God, that you are not necessarily punishing us, but rather you are shaping us through hard circumstances to look to Jesus who took our ultimate punishment and in return gives us Uh, grace, to be heirs with hope. Uh, So God, I pray that you would help us understand that. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds. God, that you would work through our relationships. And God, even now as we respond through worship, God, I pray that you would stir up our attention and affection to you uh, in the way that honors you and brings us joy. And that ultimately we'd see the gospel go forth through our lives to the nations. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.